Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. There's a ton of ways that you can make money without putting your own skin in it, and you can learn. And as you gain in your business acumen, then you can take on more risk. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode, I want to ask you, do you have a strategy right now where you are getting leads that come into your inbox while you're sleeping? Do you have a strategy where you are optimized with both Google AdWords and SEO, search engine optimization? If not, then guess what? Today's your lucky day. We've got a free strategy session just for you, and it's with Dan Barrett. If you recognize his name, he was a guest on episode 565, and he is the only certified Google partner agency that works exclusively with real estate investors. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash strategy and get a free strategy session to learn with him how to implement an online strategy for your market in both SEO and Google AdWords. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash strategy. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. We've spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Jay Papazan, the co-author of The One Thing with Gary Keller, and many others. Today, we're going to be talking with Roan Yarn. How you doing, Roan? I'm doing great. How are you, Joe? I'm doing well. Nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Roan. He is the founder at homebuyerpool.com, which is a real estate exchange portal that connects buyers and sellers. He's got over 15 years experience in real estate, which began as a project manager on a 46-unit building. He's based in Columbus, Ohio, and his website is homebuyerpool.com. With that being said, Roan, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on? Sure, I would love to. just want to say thanks for having me on, and I'm always keen on an opportunity to share the benefits of the homebuyer pool. And so without further delay, I'll just sort of give you a little bit of background about me. started out in around 2000, as you had already pointed out. I was project manager for a building. I, it was actually down in Miami, and it was my first real experience in real estate. But what it taught me was real estate's more than just about rehabbing property or selling or doing the whole realtor bit. But it's very much a business of communicating ideas and working with people and one of the challenges that I met with right off the bat 
was that the prior owner was a total slumlord, if I can use that phraseology here. But we had to overcome the negative feelings that the community had about this previous owner and also had to deal with the municipality, the fact that they had racked up a ton of debt with respect to the utilities. So the water bill, power, et cetera, et cetera, all that stuff was crazy and had to be negotiated down. So I learned from a very early point in my career in real estate that persuasive communication was the key to success. And what I also learned very quickly is who was of value and who wasn't in the transaction. And this is not to denigrate realtors. They do a great job. They work hard every single day. But one of the things that Home Buyer Pool stands for is the ability for someone who pays a monthly mortgage year in and year out. And at the end of the day, when it comes time to close on that house, who was there for them during the hard times when they had to make those payments? So when I say value, I mean that what the home buyer pool offers is true value. We weren't there to make those mortgage payments, so we don't expect to make money off of your home equity when it's time for you to sell it. What we tried to do instead is be really useful to you during the transaction. All right. So if you're a seller, you don't necessarily want an agent. You want a buyer. And likewise, if you're a buyer, you don't necessarily want a bunch of fees and stuff everywhere. You just want to find a house for whatever purpose you're going to use it for. And so that's what we try to do is sort of put the tools in your hand and then get out of the way. So if we do interject or if we do intervene in a transaction, it's because we have a point in being there. You really need help with something. You've reached a point in the transaction where you need help, and then that's where we provide that help. And then we get right back out of the way again. There are a lot of lessons to be learned over a decade in real estate. So I'm not trying to distill all of the universe down into one sentence. But what I will say is that one of the keen features of Homebuyer Pool and one of the lessons that I'm addressing throughout my career is the importance of adding value in a transaction. If you're not adding value, then really, why are you there? And so that's what I'm speaking to. Let's talk about that 46 unit that you managed right out of the gate. You said two things. One, there was a community perception that needed to be changed about the property. And then two, you had to negotiate down bills. How did you approach both those challenges? Sure. Well, if I had been a seasoned guy, maybe I would have handled it differently. But I'd had some prior experience with customer service, having worked at a bank before that and working in banking to deal with the general public. So I had already had a comfort level with just dealing with issues that come up. But the challenge of addressing the community's concerns around that building was sort of interesting because what they were thinking is that First off, some of them were afraid that the building would be condemned and then they would be homeless. But then the rest of them had the next thought was, well, if it's not condemned, but they're still living in sort of substandard conditions and how to address each of those quickly and deal with that. I mean, I had the local channels showing up and requesting interviews. So I'm talking to them, explaining, you know, how we're different and how we're here basically to help the situation. I think right off the bat, they just needed someone to vent towards because they had never really had anyone standing in front of them before. And so I just sort of had to stand in the line of fire, recognizing that there's a lot of displaced anger going on, but still take it and then offer constructive solutions. The fact is, a lot of the stuff we could not snap our fingers and be done with. So I had to show them, well, here's what the plan is. And you have to have a plan of attack and lay out maybe a 
and bullet points, a couple of steps that you're going to go through. And once they see those things taking place, then their comfort level completely shifts. What they're looking for is first and foremost to be heard. And then secondly, they want to see action on your part addressing their concerns. And that's what we did is basically say, we get it. We understand. I'm sure that the prior owner did not deal with you all in the best possible way, but things are different now because first off, this is an investment for us. We wouldn't have bought it just to continue to see it deteriorate. We're here obviously out of the interest of economics, but also it's good business to have them happy because then they're going to refer their friends and et cetera. And they're going to have maybe more family members moving into the units. So just to speak in a sort of a detailed sort of investor mindset, the vacancy was really only at about 60% for the type of condition that it was in. People were living really in a bad way. And so what we had to do was we had to repair the units at the same time people were living there because number one, we didn't want to cut off the income stream because there was property there to make money from. But at the same time, we didn't want to displace people unnecessarily. So we all were working with sort of that fear that the city might condemn because of the conditions of some of the units. And at the same time, we were concerned that how do we fix this property at the same time we've got people walking around? That's a hazard. So we just had to really communicate with the tenants and be sensible because basically they're living there at a construction site. So a lot of that required working logistics, but a lot of it was just about having open communication and dialogue, being respectful and being able to stand in the line of fire and listen to people and address their concerns. You said you had to lay out the plan of attack from a high level. What was the plan of attack for turning it around? The first thing was to assess the condition of each of the units sort of individually. See, ideally, A property like this, the condition that it was in, would have already been vacant. And then you could go in and gut everything from the studs and start all over. We didn't do that, and we were working with a shoestring budget. So we went in and did a unit-by-unit assessment of what was needed. And then we basically conveyed that information directly to the person that was living there. And in some cases, we had to say, listen, you're going to have to move out of this unit for a few days while we do this or that, but be rest assured, we're not kicking you out, okay? But maybe you want to be gone while we resurface the floors or take out the mold or whatever. I'm a project manager, so I can only address it from the highest level, but the contractors that went in and did the work would advise me on how bad it was and what we needed to do. So I would sort of take that general contractor speak and translate it into layman's terms for the tenant, but basically sort of outlining step one, assessment, step two, fix it, and step three, get you back in there. And those are the simplest of terms that you can really convey that. But I can't really solve all the problems of the universe on the back of a napkin. But what I try to do is address it very plainly. Here we go. Your unit requires these three things to be up to code. And some of it's going to require that you maybe go away for 12 hours, 24 hours while we fix it, but at the same time, sensitive to the fact that they needed to be in there. In some cases, we had to have them move all their stuff out to the curb while we fixed it and then have them sort of bring their stuff back in. That's not typical sort of the way to deal with it. But again, we were dealing with competing concerns and the trick was how to address all the concerns while competing at the same time, try to work them together in a synergistic way. What about the utility bills? How'd you address that? 
that was perhaps the biggest win of the whole investment going in and negotiating with the municipality for a reduced rate was, you know, I'll admit it was kind of a rush because frankly, I'd never done that before. But then also we were able to convey to them the importance of doing this. It was really a public relations nightmare for everybody. I don't think anyone really escaped the glare of the lights and the camera because while we were there taking fire from the local reporters and the community was very sort of enraged by the actions of the prior owner. The city at the same time, they were under fire because they were sort of tempting the idea or flirting with the idea of condemning it. But that would have created a whole nother disaster because you would have had 30 displaced families there without any support from the city. So we were able to sort of put that in to show the city that it was in their interest as well to try to fix this. They always try to require that you carry the balance at the start. And I think we had a $20,000 water bill, something along those lines. That was just an enormous water bill. This was in the city of Miami, Dade County. And again, I didn't have a blueprint for this. The owner of the company that hired me lived on the West Coast and had put me sort of in charge of this project. And it was really there for me to sort of figure it out. And I, again, I didn't have a blueprint. I didn't have a manual. I just sort of had my street smarts and I went in there and said, you know, how can I talk these folks into coming over to my side? And again, it goes back to communication and showing what everyone's value is. You're taking a non-income producing property, a property that's on the tax rolls, but I don't believe that the prior owner had really been up to date on the taxes until we had purchased the property. So it had become up to date at that point, but it really now had the opportunity to be an asset for the tax rules. And instead of being a drag on the system, it was now in a position to become an opportunity to be a worthwhile property for the city. So how to convey that to the municipality in the way that is meaningful and they care about. And so I can't really go through you line by line, the discussion that I had with them. But what I articulated was the importance of getting that property back to productive status and how it was a win for everybody if they were to do that. And by putting this $20,000 bill in front of us, which we had no part in creating, but only would be a blockage for them because we show them, hey, listen, maybe we can't afford to do that. Maybe we just flip the property and then we had equity in it. We could have just taken the short money if the city was not going to be cooperative and move on to the next project. But we show them, listen, you know, there's an opportunity for us to make the long money here if you guys work with us. So that's what I did. And they were open to it. And at the end, I think we paid them 1500 bucks or something like that just to show that we were serious, but we didn't take on all the debt of the prior owner. Wow. That's quite a discount that you negotiated. And I'm sure that was one of the reasons why I'm guessing that you're, the owner bought it at a discount. I'm guessing he or she did. And if so, that 20K was taken into account on that discount. So I suspect, and again, this is all speculation, that was profit on what was negotiated. Do you have any insight into what they bought it for and if it was a credit at closing? So going back and sort of like recounting the details, we picked it up for like 150 and I believe that it was worth a quarter million. So it was like we probably were in it with about $90,000 worth of equity at the start. This is before you factor in writing down that other debt, but it did require a lot of work. And so I think we paid like 140 
five or something like that. It was in the 150 range, and we could have easily flipped it and still flipped it in a way that it would have been interesting to another investor. Maybe we could have flipped it very quickly for a $50,000 profit or something like that. But at the end of the day, we had an objective of developing a certain amount of units each year. And it would have been counterproductive for us as a strategy. The idea was, of course, we want to buy them with equity in it. Although tempting it is to flip them, the idea was <laughs> to buy these units, develop them, and then you're just that much in the black when things start happening. Because there's always going to be issues that come up. This was the sort of property that would have been Section 8 eligible. So one of the challenges around Section 8, if you're in that world, is you know that if you don't maintain a certain level of compliance with the codes, they will just cut off the funding altogether. And if it's the same issue in each of the units, they'll just cut off support to the property, period. That's a dire situation for an investor because cash flow is what you live and die on. And if suddenly that were to stop, then you would find yourself maybe in a position where you were not able to recover from. So having that cushion in there is key and the profit sort of potential hanging out there was tempting, but it was not our strategy to do that. So that was not the pressure point that we were pushing. And ultimately, it was not the direction that we went in. Where did the project net out at the very end? That's a good question. I left the company before the disposition of that property. And so I wouldn't have access to that information. But he was well positioned to make a good chunk of change. If I had to speculate, he certainly would have made his investment back plus another hundred grand or so. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? Other people's money. You know, if you are just a regular guy and you don't have a ton of experience in real estate, there's a ton of ways that you can make money without putting your own skin in it and you can learn. And as you gain in your business acumen, then you can take on more risk. But I would say as starting out, flipping contracts is a good way to go or partnering with someone and bringing them deals and letting them take on the risk. But the caveat that I would suggest, and this is another thing, there's always going to be the opportunity to go for the low-hanging fruit, the quick, easy money. And that might include someone presenting you with an opportunity to put your credit on the line while they do the deal. I would advise staying away from that sort of venture. You didn't ask that specifically, but I sort of tie it into my principle of being debtless in a debt industry is probably the best way. That's what the home buyer pool was for me, frankly. How to take advantage of the upsides of the market and even the downsides of the market, but without putting your own skin in the game. And if you don't mind me plugging the home buyer pool a little bit, I'll say that one of the arms of the home buyer pool is the app that I have called Birds. And Birds is basically a platform that allows bird dogs to send us properties and we put them on the site. When they close, you make money. So our slogan, if you will, is sell a home that you don't own. And that's the culmination of the wisdom that I've sort of amassed in the real estate business is making money while others participate in the debt piece is really an excellent way until you feel comfortable. And there's a ton of ways that you can get involved with real estate without necessarily putting your own credit standing on the line. But properties, deals that are based off of the deal itself, where hard money guys, for example, come in and loan money at a specific rate, but their recourse is the property, not you personally. I would say as a rule of thumb, particularly those just getting started in real estate, 
buying properties in a manner in which you do not put your own money up. At the very least, if you're borrowing money, borrow it from a private lender who's not going to tinker with your credit. That's a good way to go because you need to have the space to learn. Mistakes will be made. So you should just sort of plan on mistakes being made, although you try to not make the mistakes. But inadvertently, things are going to happen. And how you structure yourself on the front end can help mitigate the damage overall down the road. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure, go ahead. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Home Warranty of America is a nationwide leader in the home warranty industry offering coverage in all 50 states. Most companies offer 12 months of coverage. Not Home Warranty of America, though. They offer 13 months of coverage. Go get that extra month. Find out more at hwahomewarranty.com. That's hwahomewarranty.com. Best ever book you've read? Best ever book that I've read on the topic? (laughs) Some people might not be embarrassed by this, but The Art of the Deal was my first business book that was not geared towards real estate itself, but the book introduced me to the concepts of Sun Tzu's Art of War, mm-hmm. upon which it's based. So what the Art of the Deal did for me was sort of make me aware of the Art of War. And in the Art of War, it talks about many things, but one of the things that settled with me was when you're strong, feign weakness, and when you're weak, feign strength. And that's been one of the sort of guiding techniques that I've used for just trying to navigate just the dynamic of in real estate. It seems that when you've got a property that everyone wants, you have to have a strategy for going about getting it and you have to have a strategy overall in business. And so as an introduction to strategy, I would recommend The Art of War by Sun Tzu. Best ever personal growth experience and what'd you learn from it? I would have to say my first experience in real estate was the one because my mentor was very strong and what he sort of instilled in me is this idea that you have to have a mindset of a winner going into it. And the mindset of a winner is one who is thinking about how I'm going to win here and at every angle is assessing the situation. And a lot of that has to do with how you project yourself. If you project strength, then you're going to be treated differently than if you don't. And if you're projecting sort of an air of confusion or you're not sure about who you are or what you're trying to achieve, then you're going to open up a pathway of forces that sort of work towards you in a negative way. So it's important to be very resolute in who you are and what you're trying to achieve and then go out and set about doing it. Best ever deal you've done. Best ever deal that I've done are the small good ones. I don't necessarily whale hunt, but I look for properties that are in uh, areas where people don't expect to be. Being there first is important. I've done hundreds of deals, so it's hard for me to say what the best one is. I just am really sorry. that I know you wanted more from the lightning round. You probably wanted me to fire it off real quick, but the first thing that comes to mind is just those quick little $20,000 deals that you can get any place a sheriff sale you can get them from wholesalers and if you know something that someone else doesn't it's important to know a buyer before you find a seller that way you know you're going to sell it <laughs> i don't know if that's your answer or not but um, I, but, I don't really but what, what's the best ever way you like to give back the best way to give back is to know your community well know the people who are involved if you see a bunch of houses for sale in your neighborhood then don't be afraid to go up and talk to the people. The more you talk to people, the more you're going to know about the community. And when someone comes 
knocking and asking you questions, then you're in that position to help people. So I would say being a member of your community, being active in your community is very important. There's plenty of nonprofit organizations that are tied to the community that you can join that would not only help you as a business person because it increases the channels that you can get information, but then also you can be a better member of the community. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? (laughs) Taking on debt. That's what I learned. So stay away from the debt. You don't finance any of your properties? No, because that's what the home buyer pool is all about. The home buyer pool was my solution. Not everyone obviously can start their own web portal, but you can certainly take part in the one that I've created by going to homebuyerpool.com and registering for an account and sending in properties and we'll help you sell them and you'll make a cut of their service fee. I love the story about your 46 unit as well as what you're working on now with Home Buyer Pool. That 46 unit where you were the manager and you had to change the perception of the community. You had a three-step plan. You got to assess each of the individual units and address it. Address it as number two or fix it. And then number three, you've got to get back and go do the next one and really do the three-step process of rinsing and repeating. So I guess it would be two steps. You assess and then secondly you address then you just go on to the next one and then also the utility conversation where you had leverage because you did have equity in the property so in theory you could have flipped it and then it would have just passed the buck to someone else the county didn't want that and so working with them from that angle and negotiating a twenty thousand dollar water bill and i think it's important to reiterate that you and your company did not incur that cost. So that wasn't your bill. It was one that you inherited, which I think will help with the negotiations and lowered it to about $1,500. And we're able to reposition that along the way. I'm sure that was a very character building experience. And I'm surprised that that actually launched you in the real estate. <laughs> Most people, <laughs> it, it would launch them the exact opposite direction, having to <laughs> do that, especially as a first project. So thanks so much for sharing that story. That will certainly resonate with a lot of best ever listeners who are into multifamily as well as your home buyer pool venture. So I wish you the best. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks again, Joe. Thanks for having me. Home Warranty of America is a nationwide leader in the home warranty industry offering coverage in all 50 states. Most companies offer 12 months of coverage, not Home Warranty of America though. They offer 13 months of coverage. Go get that extra month. Find out more at hwahomewarranty.com. That's hwahomewarranty.com.